Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. I'm so glad you're here. Today is part two of a conversation that I had with my guest, attorney Melissa Coleman. We were in the middle of an important conversation. We're talking about dealing with our past hurts. And she had just walked us through a mercy trial and what that looks like. We're talking about grace, mercy, forgiveness, injustice. How do we apply that to our lives as parents so that we can be free of the baggage that will just seep out and affect our parenting? And all of this is really right in line with the Connected Families framework because this is foundational work. This is asking ourselves, what is going on in me? How is that stuff in me seeping out into my parenting? And I want to work on it and I want to deal with it because I don't want it to be holding me back or causing a hindrance from being able to communicate to my child, you are safe with me. Well, just before we jump into part two of the conversation, I want to talk about, you know, for the past few weeks, we have been talking about our sibling conflict online course. It teaches the easy to remember four-step peace process that your whole family can learn as they walk through conflict. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, maybe you saw in the last couple of weeks, we had a post that kind of went a little crazy for us anyway. (laughs) It talked about how normal sibling conflict is actually had some data, some research that had been done on it. So just, you know, to alleviate your hearts, like this is normal. And also that post had a few slides of things that you could do about it. All of that content came out of the sibling conflict course. Okay. If you haven't tapped over to our website and checked on the sibling conflict online course, be sure to go to our show note and check it out. Yeah. Tap through and check it out. Okay. I'm going to just read Melissa's bio again so that you know who I'm talking to. And then we're going to just cut right back into the second half of that conversation. So Melissa Coleman has been practicing law for 25 years. She's done extensive work in advancing human rights in both domestic and international arenas as well as for advocating for the rights of citizens to freely exercise their religious beliefs in their public and professional lives. Melissa and her husband of 26 years have five fantastic kids, three adults and two teens, and a village of young people in their lives. What Melissa loves most in life is helping people get free and stay free. I'm really, really thrilled to be dropping this conversation. And here's part two. You know, I know that you work with moms groups and you have young parents around you. And what have you seen and how would you suggest young parents to to start to incorporate these teachings into their parenting and teaching it to their kids? Well, you know, as I'm seeing how the young people in my life who have younger kids are putting this into practice. It's just beautiful. And one of the things that I've observed is that it's really important to acknowledge the child's sense of injustice. You know, as parents, it's easy to judge an offense. It's just not that bad. Get over it. You know, and we just want there to be peace. And so that kind of tempts us to say, you know, 
just deal with it, get over it. It's not that bad. But when we do that and we desensitize them to Jesus's standard for how he wants us to treat one another. And so if Sally can get away with treating me that way, then I feel justified in treating her or maybe somebody that's weaker than Sally in that same way, because I can get away with it. And that is that is an invitation to lower the standard for our kids about how we are called to treat each other. And then secondly, I think that it's important to just take a little time, and this can happen really, really fast, but to help them name the charges against that offender. Mm-hmm. That enables them to, yeah, legit, this hurt. This was wrong what this person did to me. But then take that next critically important step and say, now let's release Jesus's mercy over that person to pay for that sin against you. This not only sets the offender free, it keeps our kids from becoming victims and living as a victim or from retaliating because now Jesus has paid for it. And it retains in their hearts that standard that Jesus set for how we're to treat each other. That's really good. I I'm kind of feeling, sometimes I feel like the weight of people listening and I can just hear some people like, but it's so hard. I've been carrying this. It's actually a weight, but the anger, the bitterness, the offense of the thing that happened to me for so long, it's almost written into my DNA. It might feel like for them, or sometimes people haven't named it. They don't really get, you know, what was the injustice that happened to them? So what's at stake here for those people who are just struggling to release forgiveness? Yeah. If we want to stay stuck, we will stay stuck. You know, there are people who don't know how to live not being a victim. And the enemy piles on offense on top of offense on top of offense. And our hearts become heavy. We find it difficult to be authentic. You know, I I think this is why we see so much of this in the church because people put on a facade to hide what's really going on in their hearts. But God wants us to be transparent. He wants us to live authentically. If we only knew that this is Satan's greatest trick, you know, to keep us condemned, to keep us in torment or to keep us in 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 victimhood, to never let us experience the freedom that comes when we relinquish our claims on those injustices and declare that person acquitted, forgiven, and free, and then partner with having to pray for them with a clean heart. Yeah. That is so powerful. And I think mm-hmm. another thing that happens is that when we're in relationship with the accuser against other people, the enemy also has access to us. And so, you know, we feel condemned because we know that our condition isn't where it's supposed to be. We know that there's some heavy baggage, dark thing going on in there. We don't know how to get rid of it. And I really had to wrestle with Romans 8, 1, which is one of my favorite verses, which says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I knew this to be positionally true. But experientially, I just, I always dealt with condemnation. But then the Lord showed me that I can apply his mercy in the heavenly courts for my own sins as well. Okay. So unforgiveness is a sin. (laughs) Ouch, ouch. Yes. Yeah, I know. So I've had, I still remember the day when the Lord showed me that I had held my husband in unforgiveness for over 20 years over something that happened 20 years earlier. And I was like, what? And he showed me this and he was abs. Of course the Lord was right, but he had to show this to me. So I had to put myself on trial and put myself in the defendancy and charge myself with the sin of unforgiveness and apply Jesus's mercy to my own sins. And this was a really cool thing that he showed me. He showed me that this is a big difference between earthly courts and heavenly courts and the earthly courts 
defendant only gets two plea options, right? At their arraignment, they can either plead guilty or not guilty. But in the heavenly courts, we get this amazing third plea option. We can plead the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus makes our guilt or innocence irrelevant because it wipes it all away, pays for those sins, and shuts the mouth of the accuser against us. Mm. That is the good news of the gospel, that our sins are not counted against us, mm-hmm. even though we, we're guilty, right? So that is so important to understand that we can put ourselves in the defendant's seat, even if we feel justified. You remember the, 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 the concept of the, the speck and the log, right? You know, yeah. so often we feel like, well, we may have a little speck, but that person's, you know, the one with the log. And I think the Lord is saying, no, you're actually the one with the log. They're the one with the speck. Because can you imagine anything that anybody could do to us? The most grave injustice would put that person at risk of their sins not being forgiven by Jesus. I can't think of anything. But that is what Jesus says is at stake when we refuse to extend mercy to our brother and sister, just like he's extended to us. And he'll use the same measure with us as we use to, with others. So that gets really serious really fast. But Jesus is like, hey, just apply my mercy and you are completely free. And I yeah. love, there's a mere translation of that Romans 8, 1 that says every bit of condemning evidence against us is canceled. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. You also talk about how this process is about taking our power back. How does the mercy trial accomplish taking our power back? Yeah. So I believe that we are sovereign beings. And like a sovereign nation, we're charged to steward our land, our garden, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like a sovereign nation, we have to patrol our borders and establish strong and healthy boundaries. We all know this. Like a nation, we need to decide who gets to come in, who doesn't get to come in. If somebody gets to come in, how far do they get to come in? How long do Mm -hmm. they get to stay? Are there behaviors that will justify booting them out of our garden, right? Every injustice committed against us is an illegal, unwanted, illegal entry into our garden, our sovereign humanhood. Mm -hmm. We become that offender's victim until we take our power back. And we take our power back by first articulating the charges against the offender and then bringing them to trial in the heavenly courts. When we're faced with the choice to either demand justice or to release mercy over that defendant, that's a powerful position to be in. Yeah. When we choose to relinquish our claim on that injustice and declare that offender forgiven, acquitted, and free, we're no longer their victim. Instead, the power imbalance shifts. And now they're the beneficiary of our kindness and of Jesus's mercy. And so we take our power back and we shore up our borders, our strong boundaries. I've had people say, well, does this just mean that you have to, you know, give everybody second chances because then they can just keep hurting you? And it's like, absolutely not. It's quite the opposite. We're yeah. reestablishing our strong boundaries. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to be wise and we're not going to let that same injustice happen to us again. We're going to ensure that we're properly stewarding our borders. Mm-hmm. We're patrolling our borders. Yeah, that's good. Checking in what's going on. How are people interacting? good. Okay. So (laughs) I'm thinking about how this plays out in everyday life. So you talk about the need to protect our posture of mercy. What is the posture of mercy? How does that look in everyday life? Well, it's really cool to 
witness somebody go through this, these trials because they often testify that they feel light and unburdened mm. and free after their trial. And Stacey, I mean, the level of injustices that I have had the privilege to walk people through these mercy trials, I mean, it is horrific to hear mm-hmm. some people's stories about what they have been through. But witness them feeling so light and free and unburdened, you know, because they carry, we tend to carry those injustices in our soul, sometimes in our body. I've seen physical healings happen after a trial, an immediate physical healing, because that person has realized, they realized after they got healed, I mean, they just got healed on the spot and, and it became clear that they had been retaining those injustices in their body, but just undeniably just miraculously healed. And so if you think about that level of freedom, guess who hates that? The enemy. The enemy. He hates being cut off. He was enjoying free access before when we were in partnership with him against that person. The, you know, when we're in partnership with the accuser against that person, we're in relationship with the accuser and he gets access to us. So he doesn't want to be cut off and he will almost always try to bait us back into relationship with him, the accuser against that offender. He'll try to lure us back in with harsh memories Remind us our hurt, our humiliation that that person caused. Now, when this happens, and I tell people, not if, but when it happens, it is critical that we protect our posture of mercy, that we confess out loud. I chose mercy, past tense. Maybe it was just five minutes ago. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was a year ago. I choose mercy, present Mm -hmm. tense. And I'm sticking with mercy, future tense, because sometimes we have to really resist the devil. But the good news is that if we are diligent in protecting our posture of mercy, the enemy has to flee. This is as much of a spiritual law as gravity is a natural law. We mm-hmm. resist the devil. He's got to go. Now, we see this principle borne out in our earthly legal system because our constitution strictly prohibits double jeopardy. And I re- referenced double jeopardy in that sample prayer, right? Charging yeah. the defendant twice for the same offense is called double jeopardy. Now, if they commit the same offense another time, then that's a new offense that requires new mercy to be applied, right? Okay. But once a defendant is forgiven, acquitted, and free, they cannot be recharged for that same offense. And if we commit double jeopardy, we're committing a sin against that person. And that would make us indebted to that person, right? Because we would be sinning against them. So it's critically important that we protect our posture of mercy towards that person and don't allow the enemy to lure us back into double jeopardy. And so we think about what we're thinking about, catch ourselves and say, I choose mercy. I chose mercy. I am sticking with mercy. I love that. No double jeopardy. I just love how (laughs) your attorney background and the judicial system just comes into this. It's really good. You know, we're talking to a lot of parents today. And it just occurs to me that as parents, we often don't allow ourselves to just acknowledge that we might even have been hurt by our children, our own Mm -hmm. children, even when they're small, that there's things that happen that are hurtful to us. Have you seen this? Have you experienced it? (laughs) I've seen it. I've experienced it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've actually never met a parent who hasn't been hurt by their kids. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want to acknowledge that. We're like, oh, I'm the parent. They're the kids. They're just yeah, the kids. They're but so again, we're precious. going back to what we talked about today, right? Injustice is injustice. And yeah, diminish us if we don't acknowledge it. Yeah, because sometimes they, sometimes they intend it and sometimes they don't intend it. But mm-hmm. 
an injustice is, is an injustice, right? Mm-hmm. And so kids, when they learn to exert their will, and they know us well enough as parents to know exactly where to insert that knife. I've had to conduct trials for every single one of my five kids, multiple trials to clean my heart, get the plank out of my eye so that I can pray for them effectively with a clean heart. Because you can't pray for someone powerfully if your heart towards them isn't clean. And, Mm. you know, just you can't have judgment and mercy coming out of the same mouth. You can't have fresh water and salt water coming out of the same stream. We have to have clean hearts as parents in order to be able to partner with heaven, to raise our kids, to be who God has called them to be, to equip them to fulfill their life mission in this vapor of time, you know, that they have on earth. So yeah, our kids are absolutely no exception and they, they need to understand that they have the power to hurt us just Mm -hmm. like we have the power to hurt them. This forces them to acknowledge our humanity and to be sober about how they relate to us as human beings, as people, and as their parents, we need to also constantly check ourselves to ensure that we're treating them with the same dignity that we would want to be treated ourselves. I hate remembering how many times I pulled rank. Just do it because I said so, because I'm the parent. Mm-hmm. And then they would, they would throw it back in my face later on and say, but you did this to me. And I'm like, wow, I did. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I would not want to have been treated that way. And I have to repent for that. You know. And so that's this whole kind of come to Jesus you know, scenario, I think that's what families are supposed to be for, but we're safe with each other. We can be vulnerable with each other because we know that at the end of the day, we all believe in mercy. You had referenced something before about if we stay stuck within unforgiveness, how does this affect our children? Yeah. And I think that's important too, to talk about because I believe that injustices can be passed down to future generations. And I'll tell you why I believe that. There's a story in the Bible involving a people group called the the Gibeonites. And Israel had a treaty with the Gibeonites. And Saul, when he was king, he broke treaty and he tried to annihilate the Gibeonites. Okay, fast forward, Saul dies, David is king, and the Israelites, God's chosen people, are suffering under a horrible famine. There's Mm -hmm. no rain for three years. They're dying. Their children are dying. It's really serious. They're crying out to God and God will not answer them. And so David sought the Lord and consulted the Lord and said, why aren't you releasing us from this famine? And you know what God told David? It's because Saul's sins of the Gibeonites against Mm -hmm. the Gibeonites is still unpaid for. So Saul was dead, but that sin impacted future generations. So David, you know, if you don't know the story, David went to the Gibeonites, said, how do we make this right? The Gibeonites said, well, money's not going to do it. We want you to give us seven of Saul's male descendants. We're going to sacrifice them and leave them out in the open to be eaten by the birds. And that's exactly what David did. And that mm-hmm. paid for the sin. Now, thankfully, we're under a different covenant because we would all yeah. be in jail if we went around sacrificing people. <laughs> to pay yes. for sins. The way that we pay for sins is by utilizing Jesus's powerful tool, currency yeah. of mercy, and applying that to pay for those, those debts. Once that debt was paid for, then God would answer their prayers and he brought rain and Mm. the people were saved. And I think the point is this, that sometimes we cry out to God for something in prayer, but the Lord wants to first talk to us about the condition of our heart. Mm. And when we're retaining offenses in our hearts against our brothers and sisters, no matter how big or small, God will often require that we deal with that first before 
he'll answer our prayers, no matter how urgent or important they may seem to us. God's people were dying in a famine, mm-hmm. right? But he's like, I'm not going to send you rain. I'm not going to answer that prayer until you deal with this sin that is still out there demanding payment. Every injustice requires a payment. And as parents establish a posture of mercy towards our children, and when we lead them to do the same with their siblings, with their classmates, their teammates, their teachers, mm-hmm. and other people who hurt them, we're teaching them how to not count people's sins against them. We're teaching them how to put the gospel into action. And as parents, when someone hurts our kids, we're often just as offended and hurt, if not more than our kids. Yeah. I mean, that's been my story. Like, I love my kids. And if somebody hurts my kids, man, that's a that's an injustice against me. And so I have to release mercy over that person for hurting someone that I love and then leave my kids to do the same. Mm, that's powerful because I think all of us parents can relate to you with that one. You hurt our kids, you hurt us. And so you do the work yourself and then you lead them in that work. One thing that I want to say before we end today is this is work that I do in my kind of secret place between me and the Lord. You know, the person that committed injustice to me, I'm not waiting for them to come and say, oh, I realize I invaded your sovereign boundaries and I committed injustice to you and I'm sorry. And and we don't wait for that, right, Melissa? We can't wait for it. Think about it. If Jesus waited for his offenders to apologize before he was willing to go to the cross, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we can't wait. And, and there are times that, we never get an apology. We never get an acknowledgement. Hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. We never get that. This, this is about cleaning our hearts and being right before the Lord. This is about ensuring that the enemy is not, it ha- does not have any legal access to torment us and to take us off mission. You know, And so we can't fulfill our mission on earth and partner with heaven when we have a plank in our eye, when we've yeah. got dirty hearts. And if we're not, if we're not going to be authentic and be real, we're just going to get stuck in this cycle of performance and putting up a facade and acting like everything's good when, you know, when really we are a whitewashed tomb, we might mm-hmm. look really pretty and fancy and put together on the outside, but there's something rotting on mm-hmm. the inside. Mm-hmm. And Jesus wants us to be real and honest and authentic. I, one of my dear friends says, Jesus was naked on the cross for us. So we can be naked before him. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful to live that transparently and authentically. And I want it. I want to live that way. And that's the freedom that we talked about even at the very beginning and that you said in your bio, you love bringing this freedom to people because that ugly rotting stuff that we love to hide down deep in, you know, another word for that is baggage and it comes out whether we think it does or not. It comes out as we interact with people and as we raise our kids. And so I know we're a community here at Connected Families that are working to receive God's grace and truth. And maybe we should add the word now, this understanding of mercy so that we can give that to our kids and also all of the people around us. And so, Melissa, I just want to ask you kind of a final question around what what advice would you leave our families with today. Don't neglect mercy. Mm. Open the gift under the Christmas tree. It's already fully paid for. 
Receive Jesus's mercy for yourself and for the offenders in your life. Teach your children how to do the same. Fight for those that God has placed in your life. Don't fight against them. Practice mercy. Protect your posture of mercy every day. This is an everyday lifestyle. And you will literally see miracles happen in your heart and in your home. I wish we had time for me to share stories and miracles that I've seen happen in people's lives. Miracles, like I said, of supernatural healing, but so many miracles in relationships. The enemy wants to keep us separated. He wants us to be isolated, divided. God wants us unified. Mm -hmm. He wants us to be the body of Christ. We can't do that when we're retaining offenses against each other. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants us to be known by our love, not by our division, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A house divided amongst itself cannot stand. And the Lord needs us to pay, use his currency of mercy to pay for what our sin-soiled mercy cannot. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier in my opinion, to take Jesus's credit card, you know, like your kid, you know, they can spend a lot of money at the mall using your credit card. Then when they're pulling out, you know, their cash, that's Um, right. (laughs) Using his mercy credit card to apply, to pay for those sins, those injustices. If we continue to retain our, our claim on those injustices, we are always going to be stuck. We're always going to be full of baggage. We're always going to struggle with being authentic. And we're always going to have the enemy causing us to feel ashamed and powerless and condemned and fearful and all of those other ugly things. But Jesus has given us a way to be free. So open the gift, utilize it every day. Amen. And you say every day, and I remember you telling a story at the seminar I attended about I don't remember the circumstances, something had happened and you were meant to go into a meeting, but you just knew you needed to do a mercy trial. And you sat in the car and you were late to the meeting and you just in your mind walked through the injustice that had happened and prayed the prayer, released it, gave Jesus credit card, put that mercy over it. And then you walked in of that. And the enemy had no space to put his claws Mm -hmm. into your heart for that thing. And I thought, what? Okay. This is something that if you need to go through it and sit down with the Holy Spirit and the Lord and spend 20 minutes or even an hour, whatever you can, but it's also a tool that someone could take and use in two minutes, Yeah, two minutes, because something just happened that you just felt it just felt yucky and you're going to deal with it right then and i thought this is life changing i love that because it's even the framework for parenting that we teach here at connected families is somewhat like that too you can take some time in it or you could just walk through the steps pretty quickly and so Melissa, I'm just so grateful that you are here today and that you shared with us what the Lord has taught you about a mercy trial and mercy and injustice and oh, the credit card and all, all the things. I know that there are many people who have experienced freedom. You know, we're going to have the prayer that you read out. We're going to type it out in the show notes so that people can get that. They can just tap down and they can read it. You can even copy and paste it somewhere, everyone, so that you have it for yourself. And we'll also have links just to you, Melissa, and your law firm in case anybody would be interested in getting in contact with you. Is there any other way that any other links or anything that you would like 
us to put in the show notes? No, I don't think so, but thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a blessing. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to the podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.